Ladies and gentlemen, good evening and welcome back to These Go to 11 podcast. Once again, we have the incomparable Greg Dutcher. Greg, say hello. Hello, incomparable audience. Greg, I want to give you just a moment here to say hello to your number one fan. My number one fan is our guest, Dave Shive. Dave, say (laughs) hello to the audience out there. Oh my goodness, I'm the number one fan. Hello, everybody. Um, so Dave, you are uh, finally joining us. We've been uh, trying to get you on here for the past several weeks and your schedule has been crazy and we're going to talk about why in a few minutes here. Um, but uh, why don't you go ahead and just uh, tell everyone about yourself, just what you're doing now, the organization that you're with, uh, friends, family, all that good stuff that's important to you. And Dave, if you want to just mention the way I've sort of shaped your ministry and life uh, and been an inspiration to you. I mean, feel free, but you don't have to. Or take two minutes to rebut that yeah. comment. Well, I can say how Greg has influenced me in, in some really short. I mean, there wouldn't be much to say, really. <laughs> <laughs> Psalm 11971 says, it is good that I've been afflicted. <laughs> That's my verse. <laughs> oh, ouch. <laughs> good. I'm going to use that one, man. Yeah. Uh, I live in Catonsville, Maryland, with my wife, Kathy. It's on the west side of uh, Baltimore, outside the Beltway, and uh, Kathy and I have been married for, uh, in June, it will be uh, 47 years. That's awesome. And, and uh, it's been very hard for me, but... Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'd know, like to I've, say I, I know Kathy, and I would like to rebut that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Kathy would, too. Yes, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we have um, we have three adult children who are married. They all live in the general Baltimore area, and uh, we have eleven grandchildren, nine grandsons, and two granddaughters. And uh, <clears throat> they range from from uh, age fourteen down to about two. And so um, that that number of boys makes it pretty interesting when we get everybody together. But um, we're very, very blessed. I've been in ministry for 43 years now since I graduated from seminary uh, in a variety of roles. I've been a pastor, Christian school director, Bible college professor, and in the latest phase of my um, journey, I have been a missions mobilizer, which I'm sure we'll talk more about a little bit later. Uh, And I have been doing that for about five or six years now. In that role, uh, uh, my wife and I have raised support, just like missionaries, so we have people who give generously every month uh, to free up my time so that uh, we're able to live and I can devote myself completely to uh, the ministry of missions, mobilizing the church for the cause of world missions. And uh, so I do that in a variety of ways. And uh, we can talk about those more as we get into this thing. Now, Dave, I do just want to uh, note, you did not mention when you were a faith healer uh, and partnered with (laughs) Benny Hinn. I I was just curious why you sort of excised that from your ministry resume. Well, well, if we talk about that, then we got to talk about the snakes. And just, you know, it really tarnishes my reputation. And it's illegal on top of that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the the, the, snakes. 
You know, I, th- I think we re- uh, should stay clear of that. Yeah, let's leave out the whole strict nine section of Dave's, <laughs> Dave's faith journey. Dave. We'll, we'll, we'll leave okay, that. Okay, we'll, we'll move beyond that. Well, interestingly enough, I just returned from eight days in rural Louisiana, or Louisiana as they say it. Yes. And man, I want to tell you uh, what a cross-cultural experience that was for me. I didn't see any snake handlers. Or, uh, but I heard about the faith healers down there, and there's some pretty wild stuff that happens out in those rural areas. Wow, wow! But but the guys you worked with, Dave, I saw some of your posts on Facebook. They were awesome. Uh, you said were some of the most incredible ministry uh, experience you've ever had. Yes, uh, <clears throat> a former student of mine who uh, has an incredible story all on his own, and. Uh, uh, he's landed in this rural place in Louisiana. He's just as an aside. I know we didn't plan to talk about this extensively, but uh, this guy uh, got involved in ministry on the College Park campus a number of years ago, and he started. He had a burden for uh, having a Bible study with every uh, varsity sports team. So he got a list of the names of every athlete on campus. I think there were 765 of them. And he began to pray faithfully every day for all 765 of those athletes. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's an amazing thing. And through that, uh, I don't know if you remember Grievous Vasquez, who used to play for the Terps. Yeah. He led Grievous to the Lord, uh, and that led him on a journey into the NBA when Grievous went, got drafted. Uh, he was able to uh, bring revival to Kevin Durant's life, get him into Scripture, and uh, he's served as a chaplain, and uh, he, he began praying for every single player in the NBA as well. So uh, it's a very unusual guy, and here he is pastoring this little hick Southern Baptist church in rural Louisiana. It's just phenomenal. Wow. Well, I, obviously, Dave, since you brought it up, Durant, uh, did you see his speech last year when he was the MVP? Yes. That was one of the most powerful speeches I've ever right. heard yeah. from any athlete. Yeah, uh, I don't remember if he referenced anything explicitly Christian in that. Right. Yeah. But I didn't even know about that connection until you mentioned that, and it it now makes me want to go back and listen to that speech. Yeah. It, well, be- uh, he he bumped, my friend Rick bumped into got made contact with um, Kevin, found out that Kevin probably knew the Lord, but. Uh, knew nothing about the Bible. And so what Rick does is he gets these guys into Scripture. He's big on discipleship and mentoring and getting people to read God's Word. And so he passes out Bibles like crazy. He holds people accountable. And so uh, that's what he did with Kevin. Wow. Yeah, because his um, speech, I remember, that's the one, Dave, where he says at the end, he thanks his mother, um, who's there in the Mm -hmm. audience, who was raised him, uh, single mother, and yeah. I remember he said she's the real MVP. Yeah. Wow. Right. Lisa yeah. had no idea who that guy was uh, <laughs> at all. We were yeah. watching it one night, and it was showing on like the evening, and she was bawling uh, yeah. watching that. So, uh, <clears throat> wow, that's that's cool. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, mm-hmm. that's a really cool uh, testimony and opportunity, too. Yeah, man. I, I, mm-hmm. I'm feeling, Dave, um, that maybe when this guy's done, I'll take his place as a chaplain in the NBA. Well, the problem is he's got some athletic ability. Oh, okay. So that's sort of a prerequisite? Yeah, and that yeah. kind of just disqualifies you. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, what can I say to that? Dave's actually seen me. Right? So I'm not going to say anything else. So, right, right. <laughs> uh, so um, 
you know, as, as you mentioned, Dave, you, you work, um, with missions and a lot with missions. And so, uh, I, I think it's going to be really great to get your perspective on our first topic tonight. We're going to be discussing ISIS and, um, particularly we're going to be, uh, discussing, can we call, um, these people who are in this organization evil, mm-hmm. um, b- from the perspective of the fact that, uh, you know, I, I myself am evil. You know, as, as, as a Christian, you know, um, as, as a human being, I am evil. And so is it appropriate for me to call these people in this situation evil? Mm -hmm. Um, and how do we, how do we deal with that? I know, um, uh, for me, I, uh, I work at a liquor store, manage a liquor store who's run by um, a Jew. And so, you know, for him, he has this seething hatred toward these people um, mm-hmm. and, and what they're doing. And so, uh, Dave, just give us your take and your perspective on what's going on in this part of the world um, with these people. Well, I, I think that uh, this whole question is, is intriguing to me. And... Uh, there's so many uh, different uh, roots that go down into the soil on this that uh, it's, it's a little hard to, to know where to begin. I think the question of the problem of evil, you know, is, is huge and uh, has ways into this. Uh, the Bible speaks very, very prolifically, as you guys know, about the topic of evil. Um, the, the, the word evil occurs about 75 times in the New Testament and hundreds of times in the Old Testament. So the Bible is not bashful uh, about this topic. Uh, the question, of course, is what, you know, what really is evil? And uh, the Bible does call people evil. Paul speaks of evil men. Um, Jesus spoke of the Father sending rain on the evil and on the good, on the just and on the unjust. You know, so it's not as if this is um, some hot potato in one sense that we can we call these people evil? Well, yeah, in, in, in a real sense, we can. The question is, uh, why do we want to do that? You know, what is our objective? Are we uh, suggesting that uh, these are the only evil people in the world? Are they more evil than um, you know, other people in other places who do different kinds of things? And um, who's, more, who's morally responsible for this evil anyway? Where does this evil come from? And a lot of times these kinds of evils occur because other evils have happened first. You know, uh, Islam didn't come out of uh, a vacuum, you know, in 700, in, in the 8th century AD. It didn't just kind of crop up and everybody scratching their head, where did this thing come from? And it didn't flourish in the 20th and 21st centuries uh, by some really mysterious thing, you know, it's, it's clear that there are reasons for it. So w- when we say, are they evil? Well, yeah, they are evil, but, you know, uh, where does that evil come from? And is that to be the object or the focus of our of our indignation and our wrath? You know, what is real evil might be a better question. I don't know if that's, you know, if that makes sense or not, but those are questions that I ask. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Greg, what, um, go ahead and, um, you know, kind of give us your perspective and your take, and then we'll kind of direct some questions. Um, sure, along those sure. Lines. Let me, uh, let me first dismantle Dave's answer. Uh, <laughs> you know, completely wrong, uh, <laughs> uh, completely unscriptural. See Dave, we invited you here sort of as the foil 
It gives me an opportunity <laughs> to show my profound exegetical skills. Mm-hmm. And Dave, I want to thank you for that humility that you're showing uh, <laughs> to allow me that opportunity. Uh, well, let no. me just let me just cut in and say, <laughs> everybody who listens to this podcast knows it's been an unmitigated disaster. <laughs> and uh, I've listened to it, and I've said, man, I've got to get on there and clean up this mess. And so yes. here I am. I saw one of your Facebook comments, Dave, that you need to get up here and clean up this mess. Yeah. So now we've already done five of these, Dave. You've got a lot of work to do. Oh, I know, I know. To, to clean this up. No, I uh, uh, I do, of course, uh, uh, agree with Dave. The question of evil is extremely difficult. Uh, I was reading, Dave, an article, um, I don't know, it was a week or two ago, in some, it was a pop piece, I don't know, it was USA Today or something, but there's a, a show, um, it's not a show that I watch, gotta say that, just in case the fan mail comes in. By the way, we haven't received one email yet. Somebody, please send something. <laughs> Somebody, send something. Or Facebook us. Yeah. <laughs> or just tell us you're listening. Um, but uh, there was a show on FX called Archer that's uh, an adult cartoon, sort yeah. of like Family yeah. Guy or you know, Simpsons, something. Spy-based, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. I think he's a spy. And interestingly enough, in the first um, several seasons... Uh, the spy outfit he works for uh, for is called ISIS, International Spying Something Something. Okay. Um, <laughs> and so they've been using that, I think, since like 2009 or 10, whenever the show began. Sure. Until this season. And the article was about how they've had this PR disaster on their hand because when they started the show, ISIS uh, was an unknown entity and yeah. they have been forming in a clandestine manner. So uh-huh. it's interesting. Uh, I wish I had the quote here. See, if I was a good podcaster, Dave, I'd have it right here. I'd have the research, but I don't. Um, yep. <clears throat> but I am, Dave, uh, surfing the web uh, every time you talk, so I'm getting a lot of work done, um, <laughs> which is good. But um, this whole article was uh, citing the producer, the director, the creator, whoever it was, Adam Reed, I think was the guy's name, who said, obviously, we don't want to be associated with an evil organization. So I'm thinking... I'm going to go out on a limb here and assume that this guy is not a believer Mm -hmm. and he is feeling a desire to distance himself from an evil organization, which I totally get. Yeah. Uh, At the same time, I'm thinking, okay, let's say this guy's not a Christian, doesn't know much about the Bible or may and just not care. Um, He feels a difference. So, my pastoral instinct is, okay, if I was ever talking to this guy, how would I show him that he is in need of Jesus as much as these militants in ISIS? Yeah. Uh, now, I don't think the answer is to say, hey, you're wrong to call those guys evil. Right. Because as Dave just said, yeah, I feel pretty comfortable calling people that behead innocent people that have you know, done no act of harm on anyone else evil. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Yet yeah. at the same time, uh, those uh, passages you were mentioning, Dave, the one that always grabs me is when Jesus you know, says, uh, which of you, if he has a child and he's asking for a, uh, a fish, are going to give him a snake? If he asks for a, uh, a loaf of bread, are going to give him a stone? And of course, Jesus says, even though you, who are evil, know how to give good <laughs> gifts to your children, how much more does your father? So I don't know. It's it's a puzzle for me. Lisa and I were talking about this the other night. That my my fear about calling them evil is could I unintentionally be 
sort of reinforcing the unbelievers' narrative. I'm a good person. Yeah. They're bad people. Therefore, our spiritual needs are different. I'm curious to get your yeah. thoughts on that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that um, the, the the question that I want to ask is, uh, where does this evil come from? And a, a corollary to that is, is the evil of ISIS more evil than uh, the evil of the Chinese who uh, uh, kill baby girls because mm-hmm. they want more boys? Good question. Uh, you know, is it uh, <clears throat> is the evil of um, ISIS more evil than? The um, the mother in Australia who killed her eight children. Right. You know who are we? Who are we? Why are we focused on these people? And I think that it be, sometimes betrays our own personal agenda. We highlight evil in proportion to uh, how we suspect it's going to impact our own personal lives. And the spread of Islam, the march of of um, of. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? The march of uh, of Islam that is aggressive and jihadist, jihadist and yeah. and all that that uh, is perceived by many Americans as a bigger threat than anything else in the world. Even though every culture and every country has its own form of evil, and the and the reason I think that happens is because we see what they can do to our world, nine one one, and other situations and places where they want to. Um, uh, attack the West and 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 um, bring terror and fear to the West, and so we are regrouping in the West, and we're all focused in on these people because they're going to destroy our country, they're going to ruin our way of life. And I have to ask, as Christians, uh, are we indignant about this because this is an assault on the kingdom of God, or are we indignant about it because it's an assault on our way of life? Mm, that's good. And uh, and and what are what are what motivates this anyway? Why are we so upset about this? I mean, Boko Haram. Uh, uh, I say it right. Bo- the the guys in Africa that are kidnapping all these people and have allied themselves with ISIS. They're doing some horrible stuff, but we're not as worried about that because that's Africa. True. And they haven't exported it. They haven't you know uh, hijacked any airplanes or brought down any buildings. Uh, but, you, you know, if somehow they made their way to our continent and did something, suddenly we would be all riveted on them as well. And so I think that we have to rethink our view of the kingdom of God and just really what is evil in terms of the kingdom of God in this world. Yes, yeah. And, you know, Dave, what comes to my mind when you say that, I remember being with you at uh, our church there in Catonsville, Baltimore area, uh, back in late 1999, I don't know if you remember this, but I was asking you about your thoughts on the whole Y2K crisis. Um, our mutual friend Steve there, friend of your family, I just uh, quoted him recently. He was the only one excited about Y2K uh, because uh-huh. he was hoping all of his debt would be erased. Um, <laughs> that, that's what I hope for now with the stock market crash. That's right. I love these computer apocalyptic crises. They could do yeah. wonders for us. But um, I uh, remember all the books. There was a fever pitch of you know conferences and books at that time uh, about this potential you know world altering crisis. And yeah. there were even Christian websites. I don't know if you remember this, Dave. I remember you were getting a kick out of a website that was urging people to stockpile uh, along with food and you know water and basic life needs. 
um, because people are going to try to take those uh, resources. And uh, you were getting a kick out of it because (laughs) could you ever picture Jesus telling people to prepare for an apocalyptic event uh, by saying they're, you know, he's going to, you know, you're going to need to kill people to try to take uh, things they need to support their families. Um, And it, it, there is a skewed perspective sometimes, isn't there? Particularly here in the comfortable West. Oh yeah. Yeah. And we, and it, it reflects itself in the absolute, uh, almost total security and safety and comfort that we have experienced as a culture and as a nation. And it's a naive worldview. Uh, I often wonder how many of these people that, that uh, are looking at Islam and, and um, you know, coming crises this way have ever been outside of our borders and seen how other people live. And uh, have they been to places where people walk miles every day just to get a bucket of water, uh, where kids are starving, where... Um, uh, crime. They live in neighborhoods in major cities all over the world where crime is terrible, where, where millions of kids are climbing over landfills every day and night just to find something of value. And here we are with our really ridiculous, small-minded, petty little uh, approaches to crisis. We, we, we truly are naive, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and it, you know it's interesting that you uh, you you bring that up, Dave, because I remember <clears throat> when I was in Jamaica. Uh, it was my senior year of high school. I was down there on ten day mission trip, um, and it wasn't in one of the resorts. You know, it wasn't in the comfy, cushy resort where you know everything was all you can eat and all that. We were actually in inland in the country, speaking with the people. And I remember uh, being shocked by what um, one of, uh, I think it was one of the pastors we were talking with said, and he, he just kind of looked at me, he said, you know, I feel so bad for you Christian Americans because, and, and it just, it, it threw me off guard. And I was like, well, wait a minute, you guys are down here, third world country, poor poverty. And he said, well, here, here's why I feel bad for you. You have all these distractions around you. And so for you to truly, you know, tune those things out and worship God must be a, a difficult sacrifice for you. Mm-hmm. And, wow. and that just totally blew me away. And, and it, it flipped my American perspective that I had about feeling, you know, sorry for the rest of the world and the things that are going on. And obviously, I think there are things that, you know, we should you know, want to feel sorry about, but in terms of our relationship with God, which is the most important thing in the world, I don't think we realize as Americans how, how difficult that can be sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think of the, uh, of the various permutations of evil that exist in this world. And I, I dare say that within a five minute drive of my house in some home, uh, in West Baltimore, there's a little girl who's being sexually abused right now. Yeah. Yep. How hideous is that? And uh, we want to focus on ISIS. You know, we want to talk about how evil those guys are. Well, whatever they've done, it's no worse than taking an innocent, harmless little child and doing the kinds of things that some people are doing to them. And, and I think that's where we've got to come back to the, the truth of Scripture. Yeah, these people are evil, but the reason they're evil is not necessarily because they're more evil than people somewhere else. Their deeds are evil. 
And that's where Jesus is, is uh, very clear. We can call them evil, but the reason we call them evil is because of what they do. And what they do is spawned by a kingdom of darkness that is so hideous and so evil that we would be we would probably all fall over and die if if the curtain were fully pulled back on Satan's kingdom. Yeah. And 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 what he is capable of doing and occasionally the curtain is pulled back just a crack. And we see things like ISIS. We see uh, little children being killed and beheaded and women being raped. And, and we think, wow, what? that's really horrible. Well, guess what? That ain't even the tip of the iceberg for what Satan is capable of. Yeah. And he's the enemy. He's the true evil one. Jesus says he is the evil one. Yes. There is an evil one, and uh, it, it's, it's too easy. It's, it's a, t- too easy a target to point our finger at people who do evil things and forget that we're we're not wrestling against those people, not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're wrestling against uh, the forces of darkness that are way too powerful for us. You know, we might be able to send airplanes and soldiers and somehow subdue ISIS, but there there's no military equipment that can subdue the kingdom of darkness, and that's the true enemy. That's where all this comes from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well said, Dave. It's almost as if you could if you could see a a spiritual dimension map, uh, I wonder how shocked we would be to see just uh, how widespread that kingdom of darkness is. And uh, I think it goes beyond the Middle East. Oh, uh, yeah. As you, as you just well pointed out. Absolutely. If you've ever seen something happening that you actually are watching, it may be something small, but have you ever averted your eyes from something? And it may even be on TV, it might be in a movie, and then suddenly something's going to happen. And you think, I, I, don't, I don't want to watch this. I don't even want to see it. Yeah. And it may only be in, uh, in, made up in a movie or uh, on a television program, or it may be you're at the mall and you see some person acting out in a way that's really despicable, and you avert your eyes. Just think about where that comes from and the pit of hell that that originates from where there is evil unspeakable that we can't even begin to comprehend. Yeah. Now, Dave, I must say, I am feeling a little awkward. I, uh, I'm hoping it's just coincidence that I've noticed you've never made eye contact with me when, uh, you know, when I preach. <laughs> just There's good reason for that. Connection there. Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of reasons yeah. for that. <laughs> the, tr- the truth is, I'm not only not looking at you, I'm not even listening. <laughs> yeah. Angry birds. Yes. Well, Dave, I'm used to that. I mean, you know my wife, and I don't know when yeah. she last listened to one of my sermons. <laughs> You know? <laughs> uh, so, so Dave, um, we're, we're actually going to, I, I hope, segue this really well into our next topic, which is missions, um, because we are, as believers, called to reach out to these people and preach to them. Um, and so you have a unique perspective on missions. Um, and, and go ahead and tell us just a little bit about the organization that you're with um, and, and what the focus is um, in, in missions there. Well, the organization I'm with is called Frontier Ventures, as I said. It was originally founded as the U.S. Center for World Mission in Pasadena, California. That's the word mission without an S on the end. And the the distinction is very important. I was founded by a guy named Ralph Winter, who was an absolute genius. He was, uh, in 1985, one of the top 25 most influential evangelicals in the world, according to Time magazine. 
and he founded this organization specifically for the purpose of identifying people groups, ethnic groups of people that are unreached. They do not have the capacity to evangelize themselves within their own ethnic group. Uh, so it was a new way of looking at mission. In 1974, he gave a paper at the Lausanne Conference on World Evangelism in Switzerland. Billy Graham was there, and he literally blew the, well, metaphorically blew the socks off of everybody there when he told them that we have, uh, we, we have to move into a new era of mission, and it has to be focused on ethnic people groups. And, uh, and that, that concept just totally turned the missions world upside down. The problem is that it hasn't made its way out into a lot of churches. So a lot of churches are still thinking about missions the way I thought about it when I grew up. And frankly, I think people are tired of it. Mm. I think the, the model of missions that I grew up with that fired my imagination uh, no longer excites people. And that's, uh, that's because I think we've missed the boat on missions, but I think we've also done a very poor job of trying to uh, give people a vision for the world as it is and what God is doing. So um, uh, we changed our name. Our, our founder died seven years ago and went through this process of rethinking who we are, decided we wanted to change the basic core values of the organization, but we needed a fresh perspective, a fresh look, fresh way of doing things, so we changed our name. Uh, but... Uh, I work in missions, uh, but my passion is mission, and uh, and distinguishing those two is very important. I can explain that if you're interested. Dave, I can um, get a little anecdotal here. I met you, of course, in 97, uh, when uh, you and the team there at our church in uh, Baltimore brought me on staff, I, you know, what you call the, the greatest day of your life, outside of <laughs> salvation. Yeah. Um, of course. Actually, the greatest day was when you came on uh, uh, a one-day meeting uh, retreat with me and the other guy on staff, and the first thing you did was open up your briefcase and everything fell out on the floor. That was the greatest day of my life. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wasn't that at the Denny's or something in Timonium? Something like I forget where it was. <laughs> yeah, but. I want to say there was like a Denny's right there off of 83. There you are with your briefcase. You want to really impress new (laughs) fellow staff members, and you dump everything out on the floor. (laughs) That's true. And and the coffee went everywhere and stuff. Uh, Yeah. yeah, So that was, you know, maybe not my best day in ministry, (laughs) but it certainly wasn't my worst. But um, (laughs) I remember you wanted me to take perspectives um, at that time, the the course that you have been very, very involved in, and I'm I'm sure you can say some more things about. and I remember being frustrated with you because I thought, man, I just graduated seminary. I took two courses on missions. You know, I got the missions thing down. I took like a, a history of missions, I think, and a theology of missions or something like that. So you wanted me to take it. Uh, and I took it with uh, one of the guys who was on the missions committee at, at church at that time. And um, I remember uh, really having an eye-opening uh, experience. But I also remember telling you, my take on missions was, oh, that's when the church invites the boring speaker who shows, you know, slides, antiquated slides of like pottery and indiscernible food. And uh, we take a map and put a push pin on it and uh, have a potluck dinner and uh, 
you know, try to raise a couple of hundred dollars for that missionary when he's home on furlough. Is that the kind of experience you're talking about um, in terms of how you thought about missions most of your life? Well, yes. Now, when I grew up, I grew up, my dad was a pastor. I grew up in the church. We had missions conferences. I found it all very exciting as a boy. You know, they would bring their snake skins and their shrunken heads and, yeah. you know, have all these different really weird things. I just thought it was a blast. I had no clue what missions was about, but I really enjoyed all that. But as I got older, I realized that the model of missions that the average church believes in and that most Christians hold to is not very inspiring. It's actually quite boring. Hmm. And um, for some of the reasons you just mentioned, you know, that uh, wonderful, wonderful, dear people who've given their lives for missions, but when they're called to put a public, excuse me, Riveting podcast radio. <laughs> when they're called to put on, uh, put a public face on what they do, that's not not uh, who they who they are. They should not be trying to present something in a public uh, way because they're not called to do that. They're not good at it. They're good at something else. Yeah. And so we put them in a bad spot, and then the missions that they present is often. Uh, not very palatable to the average person. Uh, and a lot of it, <coughs> excuse me, a lot of it is our flawed um, missiology, which is the science of missions. It's our flawed way of looking at the world. I, I, and I even think there's a flawed way of looking at the Bible. And so um, all of that contributes to this just really uh, unattractive view of missions. It's so bad that when people ask me to come and speak at a missions conference, I'll often say, I'll do it on one condition. Don't call it a missions conference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Be- because if you call it a missions conference, you're automatically going to cut your attendance in half. Yes. And yes. that should tell us something. Yeah, there's a, mag- there's a quarterly magazine called Evangelical Missions Quarterly. They did a whole issue on why we should stop using the word missions. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there is a there is a false view and it really is uh, kills missions energy. Yeah. Yeah. So, Dave, what is the um, I mean, what what is your discovery been? It's hard to um, summarize it, I know, but uh, do your best. Well, um, uh, for me, uh, the 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 epiphany for me was when I took perspectives in 1986. And uh, it's a 15-week course, three hours a night for 15 weeks, uh, one night a week. And the first lesson was entitled, The Living God is a Missionary God. Now, that title really threw me uh, because I took it seriously, and I thought, I have never thought of God as a missionary God. I was, had been a pastor for 10 years at that point, and I had been um, <clears throat> I was a seminary graduate. I was a serious Bible student. I was a serious Bible teacher. And for me, like most Christians, missions was somebody doing something good for somebody somewhere. <laughs> yeah. That, you know, that's almost uh, the way what it gets reduced to. And so uh, for me, missions was always somewhere else. Missions is what I do for somebody. And that lesson... Uh, never address those issues. It didn't start with us doing something for somebody. It started with God in his very character 
and what and I've refined my thinking over the years from what I first got in 1986 <clears throat> to the point that now I'm convinced that God is eternally missional. God's character is missional. But to get that there, we have to redefine missions. And so if you think missions is just uh, is somebody raising uh, some financial support so they can cross you know, get a visa and a passport and go to another country and cross cultural barriers and, and eat weird food and dress differently, then that's not going to fly. So we've got to redefine the whole concept of missions, and it has to start with God. And our failure to start with God means we've started with people, and uh, we're, we're going to end up at the wrong place every time. Yeah, and if, if I can, Dave, I'm, I'm setting you up here because I love this stuff. When you preached here several months ago you gave a message on the uh and i don't remember all five points and yeah by the way speaking of five points now we'll save that for another podcast <laughs> but the, uh, the, the, five, the five things god was doing before genesis one before the creation right. of the world yeah was great and i don't know if you have all those at your uh at your fingertips but uh well yeah yeah they're not too difficult to recall uh, because I'm a serious student, unlike you, Greg. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I mean, if I don't have my iPad, Dave, and a uh, you know, and a and a sermon from John Piper, I don't know what to do. <laughs> oh wait, I shouldn't say that. Nathan, edit that out. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, just in the last few years, I went uh, every time I teach uh, perspectives, especially this first lesson, I redo my PowerPoint rethink the whole lesson. And I began to evolve in my thinking on this. Uh, and here's the, here's the journey I went on. The course starts in lesson one, focusing on God's call of Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, where he commissions Abraham to bless all the families of the earth. And that was new to me, because if you ask most Christians, give me a verse on missions, there, no one's going to give you a verse out of the Old Testament. Right. You know, it's going to be Acts 1-8, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And there I was. If somebody, if I'd walked in there and said, before class starts, want everybody to give us a verse from the Old Testament on missions, I would have not been able to give one single verse. I am so ashamed to say that. Hmm. I'm so embarrassed that I went through seminary and Bible college and grew up in a Christian home and studied and read my Bible, and I couldn't do it. So that, that lesson then was really the, the launching of the journey. You know, because for the first time, I'm thinking of the Old Testament, that God is on a mission in the Old Testament. It, and then I understood Israel better. Israel wasn't special and that they were better than anybody else. They were the, uh, the means that God had chosen to use to bring blessing to all the families of the earth. So, uh, you know, that, w that was really cool. You know, so I got excited about that. I began to teach that over the years. Then I began to ask the question, wait a minute. If, I, if this is God's story, which is how I approach the Bible, especially the, the early chapters of Genesis, God's telling a story. If this is God's story, I would not, and I like to read uh, uh, novels and listen to mystery novels, uh, like on my iPod, I put them on there and when I'm driving or you know, at the gym, I'll listen to them. And I thought, I have never started a novel in the 12th chapter. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be really stupid. I mean, think of what I'm thinking, what I'm saying. This guy wrote 11 chapters, and I'm going to say, well, it's not really that important. I'll just start in the 12th chapter. Yeah. So, so thinking that way, I thought, you know, 
those first 11 chapters got have to have to have something to contribute to this and i began to see how if we start in genesis 12 we don't really have an adequate answer as to why god chose abraham we know that he did we know that he's going to bring blessing to all the families of the earth but we don't really have the foundation that was laid so i went back and i started to go back and teach genesis 1 through 11 and to show that god was on a mission in genesis 1 and 2 when he created and and then when sin entered the world genesis 3 through 11 god had to figure out what he was going to do i've got a mission this is a sabotage of my mission how am i going to salvage my mission and genesis 12 comes out of that so looking at genesis 1 through 11 uh forced me to go back further than genesis 12 and that was great but then i began to ask the question uh is genesis 1 in the creation of the universe the launching of god's mission or was he missional before can we say god is eternally missional that is part of his character or do we have to say him being uh a missional is contingent upon things like the fall of man mm. you know so that be, so that before man fell god was not on a mission but when man fell he had to create this mission to correct the problem and i concluded that mission is at the core of who god is and so i began to look at what was going on before creation and you know you got these whenever i talk about this people always look at me like you got to be kidding you're going to try to tell us what was going on before genesis 1 1 that's because <laughs> dave you have a special bible right genesis 0. 0.5 <laughs> that's right yeah and uh and so uh there are at least five, maybe six things that, at least five that the Bible says, tells us were going on before Genesis 1. So I began to look at those and ask, what does this tell me about God? For instance, in John 17, verse 5, Jesus is praying and he says, Father, uh, <clears throat> I pray that you would glorify yourself with the glory which we had before the world was. So there you're, you're ushered back into eternity past before creation, and you think about God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit freely sharing and enjoying their, their glory with one another before creation. Mm -hmm. you know, what are the implications of that? Well, we know that the creation was for the purpose of displaying the glory of God. You know, the Old Testament says the, the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare your glory. So here's the glory of God being enjoyed before creation by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I surmise something like this. The Bible doesn't say it exactly this way, but I think it's a plausible way of going from the pre-creation enjoyment of the glory of God to the display of it in creation. And it would be something like this, where the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit perhaps maybe with angels observing, which they were undoubtedly there before creation, saying, you know, this, th this glory that we enjoy and share with each other deserves to be displayed on a wider platform. Wouldn't that be a blast if we could create an environment outside of this heavenly temple that we dwell in that we could just go crazy with our creative abilities and create the most amazing place imaginable that would that would uh, display all of the glory that we have, and then we would populate it with creatures made in our image 
who can look at that glory and worship us and they can enjoy it too. Wouldn't that be great? You know, so that's the idea then that comes out of the pre-creation activities of God that generated Genesis 1 and 2. Yeah. Yeah. And as you said, Dave, when you were here, that Genesis 1 and 2, and we loved it. A lot of people that really resonated with God is on mission from the very beginning. Uh, right. He is just starting. And you're right. I, I would say I read Genesis 1 and 2. It's just sort of the necessary preface um, you know, to get to the exciting stuff that comes later in the story. But the story yeah. starts with a, a bang, quite literally, uh, yeah. because God has these purposes that you just laid out. And Genesis 1 is the manifestation of those purposes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, uh, uh, so then creation takes on a whole new picture. You know, and I think we end up spending less time arguing about whether the earth is old or young, whether it's creation or evolution. I don't think that's the point of those chapters. Yeah. Those are nice topics. Those are interesting to discuss. But I don't think Genesis 1 and 2 was given to us to get us hung up on those issues. And that it's that there are much larger things that are at stake. That God uh, was on a mission before creation, and therefore he's launching his mission now. I want to know what that mission was. And I use a little bit of a syllogistic uh, kind of thing, which is you know two premises and a conclusion is how I look at it. Premise number one, God is passionate. So, uh, so if we, there we're starting with God. We're starting with God's very character. He is passionate. He's a passionate God. And I demonstrate that biblically, how passion, God is by nature passionate. Number two, therefore, he is purposeful. Passion produces purpose. And so out of his passions comes his purpose, his intentions, what he wants to do. Conclusion, therefore, he is missional. He's passionate, therefore, he's purposeful, therefore, he's missional. And so everything God does then is driven by mission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're going to have to... um, I, I, I'm just note to the podcaster, Nathan. Yeah, I want to talk about this with Dave in more detail. Yeah, like to devote it because um, perspectives is a wonderful course. Uh, I know uh, our mutual friends uh, Matt and Tracy Smith uh, have hosted it at Grace Community Church that you were just at. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christ Fellowship wants to get in on that action, uh, <laughs> but this year wasn't the right right time for yeah. us. Because there were important things to do, Dave. You know, the Ravens, we had to keep track with them. This, Oh, wait. Don't, don't, don't. We'll, we'll edit that out. Yeah, just edit that out. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that subject is interesting because I do think the average person, uh, you know, typically with, with good heart just has that aversion to missions as this specialized category that the church kind of has to do and a couple of people should devote themselves to it and we should hear from them once in a while. Yeah, and uh, there's things I'm learning constantly pastorally uh, that I have contributed to that myself uh, with uh, not the greatest leadership. So, just saying, Nathan, as Dave talks about these things, I want to talk about this. You know, devote that to a future podcast. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, and Dave, I think it's um, I think it's great. We are actually um, running out of time. Um, I know Greg and I have just been we've been sitting here not saying much because we've been. 
um, so entranced with what you've been saying. I remember when you actually came to CFC and preached uh, the message that you're talking about now, and it was just, it was so great um, to hear that and to get into that mindset in that frame. Um, I don't know if you ever saw the Star of Bethlehem, Greg. I know you saw that last year yeah. um, uh, around Christmas time. And one of the things that he brought out, which, which just blew my mind that I never thought of before, he's talking about the stars and the movement of the constellations and things like that and showing different signs. And, and he said, you know, one of the things that um, was just so amazing that he realized was that the, the heavens, the stars work like a giant clock. It's so precise. And so what that means is for these signs to have been occurring, the coming of Christ and all of that, God put all of that into existence um, when he created the universe. So before the fall of man, so like what you're saying with missions, before any of this happened, God already placed this into existence and this has been moving and this has been within God's nature. Um, and so that's just been so great and, and such a neat uh, reminder for myself to hear. Um, so, uh, Dave, we, uh, we definitely want to have you on again and, and, and just really, um, bring out these topics. We actually didn't get to our third topic, um, angels. So we'll bring you back into that. Um, and hopefully, um, you know, what you're saying with this mission, um, missional, um, stuff with God will actually, um, translate into what we're going to be talking about with angels and what they long, uh, to look into as well. So we look forward to uh, having you on again. So yeah, so those two topics are are. I mean, you. The more I get into the missions theme and the missional nature of God, the more the angelic t- topic surfaces as well. So they really are interconnected. Now I, I will say this, Dave. Uh, in preparation for that future podcast, you would recommend the show "Touched by an Angel." <laughs> uh, <laughs> would that help people think biblically about? These yeah, that's probably some of the best theology. Uh, that uh, watching that and then reading Calvin's Institutes yeah. were probably the two of the most influential things in my life. I knew it was coming, brother. I knew it was coming at some point. Notice how we avoided that completely, yeah. and that'll probably be a future podcast as well. That's right. Um, All right, but that's great, Dave. Thank you. So yeah, Dave, thank uh-huh. you so much for joining, Greg. Sure. We're uh, about to sign off, and yet again. We have rocked the Casbah. Just rocked it. These go to 11.